a Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Adam McDougall, last episode, I can tell you everyone around the office, people I run into, my mum said to me, I've known about fasting for years. You just don't listen to me. (laughs) But everyone is really (laughs) excited because, you know what, as humans, we kind of do want a silver bullet. Everything is so confusing. And that is the point of this show. You take stuff as a health and fitness economist and distill it. And the fasting one is really exciting because it is what you think From the studies that we know, the one thing that's really going to benefit you with you, on top of the good food that you eat within the fasting period, fasting will just have so many benefits. If you've not had that episode, go back and listen to the last one of why fasting is the silver bullet, something that's really going to help you be healthier, live longer, and just have a much better quality of life. But hey, if you're fast and loose like Adam and I, you can just hop on this train right now and do whatever you want. And we're going to talk about, Adam... (laughs) the types of fasts that are out there, and then your top hacks to fasting. You've been fasting for a very long time. I know celebrities do it. Were you doing it when you were playing professional rugby league what, way back when, or did you learn about it after your career? Yeah, look, it's funny. Like Everyone's jumping on the bandwagon of fasting, and it's probably people who are jumping on that shouldn't. One of them groups of people that shouldn't jump on the bandwagon to answer your question is athletes. Because as athletes, we actually want to create an environment in our bodies where we have excess fuel and we actually have growth factors throughout the body where we're healing and recovering and eating high amounts of protein and carbohydrates because it's all about performance and uh, a different type of performance um, when you're on the football field or you're out there trying to sprint as fast as you can because your body needs energy quickly. Um, That's why ketogenic diets, you know, for a lot of uh, glycolytic sports that require explosive power like rugby league and sprinting and weightlifting, uh, them sort of diets don't work and neither does fasting because um, your body needs the fuel quickly. Um, But now that I've gotten older and I've got some aches and pains and been beaten around for a number of years, I needed to find something for mm. me, um, you know, that helped with inflammation, right. um, that allowed me to keep my weight down because when I retired from football, um, I struggled to keep weight off, even at the back end of my football career. My best playing weight was about 93 kilos, but I found myself always creeping up about 95 kilos. And um, I had to really be conscious of my weight at the back end of my career. And then when I retired, I blew out to over 100 kilos. So all of a sudden, I started to realize, well, hang on, I can't do what I used to do. And that's eat all the time. I know a lot of people um, say that, you know, eating frequently for them works and, and everyone's different. And that's what the health hack is all about. So there's certain groups of people that certainly shouldn't um, try fasting um, and athletes are one of them. Um, but for me, it come through necessity. Um, it was something that I'd done a lot of research around as a health economist. I thought to myself, wow, what a great thing, you know, not having to uh, spend money, um, eating excess calories that I don't need, <laughs> preparing food in the kitchen, spending my precious time getting meals ready. Um, cause as an athlete, you know, the bar, the biggest part of your job is actually eating and getting food prepped as well. And, uh, and sleeping. They're the two biggest parts of, of, of being a top performing athlete. Sorry, I'm just going to stop you there. I can't believe you got paid to run, eat, and sleep. What a ridiculous job. I can't talk to people about that. They're all going to hate you and turn this podcast off. <laughs> but that's the great thing about fasting and what makes it seem so novel is that with all the diet advice out there, maybe the simplest and easy and best trick of all is not to eat. And it's not starving yourself. We spoke about that last episode because we know that fasting has been practiced by many religions, Jesus, fasted, Buddha, Muhammad. Mm. Um, it's about putting it in its proper context, you know, and in, in place of this brainwashing where we've been led to believe that you need to eat three square meals a day and then all these smaller meals throughout the day. 
what about if we just constricted the amount of time that we ate for? And that's all that fasting really is in a nutshell, is just limiting the amount of time that you eat for. So the key point to remember is it's not necessarily what you eat, it's when you eat. That's the most important thing now the science is starting to prove, that it's so important because we know how hard food is on the body and we know that it spikes our insulin levels. We know that it causes inflammation. Um, food is information. I always say that to people. When you're eating something, it's sending a signal to your body. It's creating hormones. It's creating emotions. It's creating feelings. You know, it's a, it's a living thing, food, and you're putting it in your body. So you need to be really smart when you're putting it in because we talked about last episode, the last thing you want to be doing is eating too close to bed, uh, eating too quickly when you get up in the morning um, and eating all the time. So, you know, it's about when you eat, not so much what you eat. And also on top of that, that's what makes the difference between fasting and starving. If you are just not eating and, you know, that's where it can be very dangerous because you're just not eating. Adam, you're not saying don't eat. We are going to now go into it. It is about the time that you eat and then fasting equates to the outside times of that. You are fasting for a period of time outside of an eating window, which is why the word breakfast is called breaking the fast. So let's go through the types of fasting, Adam. And then in the second part of the episode, we are going to go through your top hacks, which I'm very excited to hear. So do you want to start off with intermittent fasting? Yeah, look, uh, this has been made famous by our good mate, Hugh Jackman. Um, he got ripped uh, for the role of Wolverine and he brought out uh, a, a diet trend called the 16 and 8 diet, where essentially it means what it says, which is for 16 hours of the day, you don't eat and you restrict your food intake to eight hours of the day. Mm. Um, now, this is a very achievable thing for most people, um, but I'll, I'll expand on later why you shouldn't do this on an ongoing basis. But as far as dropping weight fast and actually cyclically giving your body a break from continually having to digest food and, and wanting to reset uh, your, your, your metabolism, the 16 and 8 method is a very achievable method for a lot of people. I think it's a great way for people to, to, to put their toe in the water with fasting. It's not going to have the same benefits as some other long types of fast, which I'll go into shortly as well. But I think it's a great way for a lot of people to start. So this falls under the intermittent fasting window. It is about eating within a food window. In this case, he eats for eight hours. Again, not starving. He's eating probably very well because he had to put on a lot of muscle and then fasting for 16 hours. That's correct, Alex. Well done, mate. Now, the other most popular type of fasting is called alternate day fasting, which once again, these titles, the great thing about scientists, uh, they aren't too creative, um, <laughs> is that you just alternate the days of eating with non-eating. So this one's a little bit harder because um, a lot of fasting really comes down to the psychology and our habits and you know, uh, practice creates permanency, you know? So the more you do something, the more permanent that change happens in our lives. So you have to be very careful with what habits you develop. We've spoken about that before, but this is where fasting is really challenging for a lot of people is the fact that you are bucking, you know, what you normally do. So the alternate day fast where you don't eat for a whole day. So for at least 24 hours can be a lot harder for people because they're not used to not eating. So um, it's been very, very uh, well-practiced alternate day fasting, uh, a little bit tougher. And as far as I'm concerned, I tried it. I didn't get as good a results as I did from the 16 and 8 or the time-restricted eating. Um, but it is certainly a method that's been um, proven to work for a lot of people. All right, Adam, this is the one I've been excited to hear about because it's the one that most people have said to me, oh, what about this diet when it comes to fasting? It's called the 5-2 diet. Do you want to break that down? Yeah, Dr. Michael Mosley uh, made this diet famous when he wrote a book of all things. Good on you, Michael. <laughs> it's, it's so typical of the diet industry, isn't it? You know, creating a product and then creating a fat around it. So, mm. um, you know, the five and two diet, look, once again, uh, Michael's 
opinions from what I can understand have slightly changed as well. Whether or not he believes this is the most effective way of fasting still, it remains to be seen. But essentially it's where you eat normally uh, for five days. um, And then for two days of the week, you restrict the calories you eat between five and 600 calories a day. Um, Now this is very achievable for most people. um, And what it does, it does a number of great things as long as they don't overeat on them five days. Cause I've had a lot of people who haven't succeeded on this method mm. and they think that five days means it's free for all. Yeah. <laughs> they can eat whatever they want because you know what, them two days where they, they don't eat anything, um, basically, um, will make up for all that hard. It's uh, too hard because your so, body's used to eating so much food. So those two days off, they're just going to go, where's the food? And you probably ate something that's very starchy or had a lot of, um, insulin spiking food. So then when you have the two off days, they're doubly as hard for your body to figure out the difference. Look at you, mate, hacking already. And that's, that's, a, that's exactly right. You know, the more that your body gets used to just burning carbohydrates as energy and isn't fat adapted, the harder it is to do fasting. We'll go into that in more depth soon. And uh, that's a great point because a lot of, you know, people think they can eat whatever they want and then just do a couple of days where they go on these extreme measures. And, and we know that the best diets are the ones that you stick to, the ones that, you know, aren't too drastic or too hard. And when you go from eating whatever you want to starving yourself as such, um, it's going to be very hard to comply to. Adam, as someone who does a lot of yoga, uh, warrior pose is one of my favorites. And there's a warrior <laughs> diet that I can attach to that as well. Tell me about warrior diet. I've never, ever, ever heard of this. Yeah, there's a guy out there that's designed this uh, diet called the warrior diet. And essentially you eat like a warrior. So you eat small amounts of fruit and vegetables throughout the day. So you're not not eating as such, uh, but you're eating small amounts of healthy foods. And then you're saving up your big feasts like the cavemen supposedly uh, did when they went out and hunted all day and they hit that animal over the head and then you're coming home at night and you're eating that large meal. And, you know, that large meal, you know, is predominantly meat. Um, So you're refueling your body late at night, which is really interesting because Jeff Fennick, who is an absolute legend of Australian sport, I um, have got to spend a lot of time with Jeff and see how he trains fighters and whatnot. And, you know, a lot of fighters, when they finish their their careers, blow out. And um, Jeff looks amazing. He's so fit and healthy. And, um, you know, spending some time with him in America when we were, when he was training Mike Tyson, he'd get up in the morning, he wouldn't eat breakfast and then we'd go to lunch and, you know, Mike Tyson would eat everything and, uh, Jeff would just sit there and, you know, just drink water. And then he would only eat at night. And I asked him, I said, mate, what's the go? How do you, how do you not eat throughout the day? And he goes, I, I basically just not deliberately, but I fast, you know, as a boxer, we had to make weight a lot. And he goes, intuitively for me, I just feel a lot more healthy when I just eat one meal a day. But that one meal he celebrates. That's the great thing about Jeff. He'll drink a bottle of wine. He'll, you know, indulge in some, you know, real nice foods and he enjoys them. And, uh, that that's very similar to this warrior diet in a number of ways, you know, that you're basically saving yourself for that big feast late at night. You know, it's funny as well, because we've spoken about if you do have a blowout, because, you know, you can't be good all the time. You're saying every meal that you choose, try and choose the best. But if someone's, you know, you're at a party or whatever, like you don't want to be the Scrooge. If someone's giving you some cake, when you eat it, really enjoy it. <laughs> hey, um, last one you have on your list before we take a break and come back and talk about your hacks is the fasting mimicking diet. This one is the mother of all fasting diets at the moment. This is everywhere I'm seeing in the news. It is. Vorto Longo, a very, very smart man, uh, a doctor, researcher, has come out with this diet that's called the fasting mimicking diet. And essentially, he promotes going on a five-day fast. And rather than going on a water fast, which is another type of fasting in itself, um, the five-day water fast or seven-day water fast. Water fasting is an actual style of fasting, um, which has different benefits to these shorter-term fasts. So these shorter-term fasts that we've just spoken about are really about keeping the body humming along well on a day-to-day basis. But as far as getting 
preventativeness around cancers and illnesses and allowing organs to regenerate and, and really clearing out a lot of the dead DNA and creating a process called audiophage, which means self-eating, where the body self-eats its cells, um, which removes the chance of getting a lot of these illnesses and, and whatnot. That needs to really come from doing a longer fast. These shorter fasts won't do that. They may, you know, increase our insulin sensitivity, um, increase muscle mass and, and our metabolisms and, you know, allow us to be more effective on a day-to-day basis. But getting them long-term benefits, a lot of doctors and researchers believe that we need to go on these extended fasts, which we now know is these longer types of fasts actually have so many benefits, Alex, and namely audiophars, where they're removing the dead cells from out the body, which in normal people who don't give the body a break, they build up and they can mutate and become cancers and become, you know, chronic illnesses. So these longer fasts allow your body to remove all that waste. And it does so through, through limiting the amount of food that comes in, particularly um, carbohydrates and protein. Um, it halts the production of mTOR, which is responsible for growing um, cells in our body. Um, so Walter, Walter Longo decided that this was way too hard for most people. Like I've done a five-day water fast. I can tell you now, I nearly got divorced. My wife hated me. <laughs> I, and by the end of it, I was just... I was just so tired and it was the hardest thing I really have honestly done. You know, I've done some tough things physically in sport, trained very hard my whole life, but going without food for five days Mm. and just drinking water, no coffee, any, it was awful, absolutely awful. And you hear people doing juice fasts and all these other type of fasts and they're crap. They don't work because they create insulin. And you know, when your body eats these carbohydrates and these juices and whatnot, you're spiking insulin and you're spiking growth factors. And that's what you're trying not to do when you go on a fast. You're trying to dull down all the hormones and allow the body to clean itself out. So going on these, you know, juicing fasts are just crap. But uh, coming back to my point, Vortolongo decided what he would do is he would start to create a fast where maybe you could eat something, you know, where you could eat small amounts of food. So he found essentially that you could eat, you know, roughly about a thousand calories on the first couple of days of your fast. And then for the last three days of the five day fast, you would consume between five to 700 calories. Now there's certain types of calories. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, they're not, uh, calories derived from carbohydrates, which cause an insulin spike, or they're not derived from proteins, which cause mTOR to be released throughout the body, largely from fat. So he designed this diet and, um, he's getting some amazing results, Alex, for people, um, particularly people that are overweight, um, people that are underweight or, or at a good weight don't need to do it. But for people that have, you know, whether it's heart problems or whether they have different types of cancers, uh, metabolic disorders, um, diabetes, he's finding some amazing results out of putting people on quarterly fasts of five days. And they're, they're eating still, which is exciting, um, but they're eating certain types of foods. And once again, they're restricting the amount of hours they eat these foods over. And the results are absolutely incredible. So short-term gains from fasting like 5-2 or 16-8, short fasting helps your body hum along at a nice pace and probably brings that insulin level down and gets you prepared to do a big fast once a quarter and that's where you're going to get the real benefits in the long term about letting your body clear out all the dead cells and start to give you a longer and happier life. That makes a lot of sense, Adam. So now that we've learned what type of fasts are out there, after the break, Adam, we're going to find out about how you fast, what techniques you use, and how you get the best out of the fasting method. Awesome, mate. Can't wait. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Now, Adam, we've learned about fasts. Now let's go through how you fast, how you, the health hacker, have hacked fasting. Yeah, Alex, um, my system of fasting, I remember a number of years ago when I wrote my first book on health and wellness that um, the publishers, when they looked at it, they said, mate, what's this crazy 
10-hour fee that you're talking about in the book um, and some of the claims you're making around not eating. And I said, well, look, this is how I've started eating over the last couple of years since I retired from sport. And it just works. Um, you know, I'm, I'm somebody that tries different things. It might not work for everybody, but it certainly works for me. And then all of a sudden, intermediate fasting exploded throughout the world as a result of a lot of Hollywood stars doing it, like Hugh Jackman. Um, and it was just something I, I stumbled upon with research that I, I intuitively learned that, you know, eating is hard on the body. And the only way that the body gets its chance to rejuvenate and repair itself, the stomach, the, the major organs in our bodies when you're not eating. Um, so I decided to also look into, you know, the most effective ways to burn fat without having to, to do a lot of exercise. And one of them was essentially getting up in the morning and rather than using the food that I would eat for breakfast as energy, um, I would teach my body how to become fat adapted again, how to burn energy, um, from fat. Um, and I'll do that through just doing, you know, a bit of walking in the morning on an empty stomach in a fasted state. So when you think about it, you go to sleep, you're not eating anyway. So you're fasting and you touched upon it before breakfast just means breaking the fast. So all I did was start to push out how quickly I ate my breakfast in the morning. So I'd get up and rather than eat straight away, I would actually go for a, a bit of a walk. Um, more and more research started to show me as well that um, our hormone levels are all over the place in the first 90 minutes when we wake up in the morning. Um, we know that cortisol levels peak in the sort of first hour to two that you're up. Hence why I also recommend people don't drink coffee first up because the effects of caffeine are blunted by cortisol. And uh, the last thing you want to do is also elevate your cortisol anymore, which coffee can do. So I'll just get up, have some water, a uh, pinch of sea salt, a squeeze of lemon in the morning, and I'd get out in the sun straight away to, to uh, restart my body clock, my circadian rhythms. And uh, I'd go for an easy walk. Now, I wasn't going and doing excessively hard exercise. It was just nice and easy exercise. Um, just a nice stroll on the beach, bit of grounding, Alex, as we spoke about in some past episodes, mm -hmm. um, getting my feet on the ground. Um, but I'd wait at least 90 minutes before I took my first bite of food or my first sip of coffee. Um, and you know, what I would then do is break it with a shake. And the reason that I would break it with a shake is once again, um, is that digestion is nowhere near as effective first up in, in the morning. Um, the digestive enzymes, which are required to get the food broken down in your body so you can utilize it more effectively, um, aren't at their operational peak early in the morning. So that's where a liquid type of breakfast is much better for you than trying to break down some steak in the morning. Or imagine how hard it is on your body trying to break down a lot of, you know, these foods. Um, it just doesn't have the enzymes to do it. And we've also found as well, research, that our body's ability to manage food, especially carbohydrates, is much more effective in our second meal of the day. Now, this is really interesting for people. I always recommend that you start your day with a high protein, high fiber, moderate fat breakfast. So for me, it, it's uh, a shameless plug, but it's a, it's a man shake or a protein shake um, with a handful of nuts. And I, I might put in some berries into it, uh, maybe a scoop of yogurt, Greek yogurt maybe. Um, but it, it's mainly a high protein, high fiber, a high to moderate fat breakfast for me. Um, that's not going to cause a big spike in my blood sugar levels. It's going to teach my body how to use the fat um, as energy rather than the carbohydrates. And then the second meal, that's when I'll eat a bit more carbohydrates because my body then is more attuned to breaking them carbohydrates down. So very, very interesting. And then the other thing that I started to learn from all my research was eating too close to bed was not good for you at all because them excessive calories, your body trying to break them down, it would leave a lot of oxidative stress in the body, create a lot of free radical damage. And the reason it does that is because your body's not efficient. It's not moving. The brain's smart. The body's smart. Just before you go to bed, it knows that it's time to rest. So it starts to wind itself down and its efficiency drops off. So I make sure I don't eat before at least three hours before I go to bed. Um, 
And for me, you know, that, that's where I really fit in this 10 hour window of eating. So it's called the 10 hour window that I use personally. I have tried longer. I have sh- tried shorter periods of time. I found when I was trying to go for any shorter than roughly, you know, 10 hours, um, I was gorging myself thinking I've only got six hours to eat, you know, and trying to mm. you know, smash as much as I could. And once again, you know, I was causing that insulin variability all the time because you can imagine that eating continuously for six hours isn't what the body's used to doing. <laughs> yeah, It takes a couple of hours, at least three hours for the body to digest a meal. So I like to give my body about three hours between meals to, to be able to digest that previous meal. So I found I could, you know, comfortably fit in the calories I needed and the, the, the micronutrients from the food that I required as well into these free sort of meals and maybe a little snack. Um, so that was perfect for me. But as far as long-term stuff goes, Alex, this is the really interesting part for people out there. I, I developed a system that I call surging. And it's simply my belief, once again, after studying anthropology, um, that we thrived and survived as a species when we went through periods without food and with an abundance of food. That's just how we evolved. And that's where it ties back into this fasting mechanism once again. And we ate very seasonally as well, you know, there wasn't a time where you could just go to a supermarket and get fruit all year round. As you know now, you can buy avocados all year round, bananas all year round. They might be a bit more pricey. They might cost as much as a small unit on Bondi Beach and avocado out of season. But um, <laughs> we now know that you know we ate seasonally. And research has also shown, which is exciting, is that our gut microbiome actually changes throughout the seasons as well to actually break down different foods at different times more or less effectively, which is amazing, isn't it, Alex, when you think about that? Yeah, because your body knows. It knows, oh, what's well, autumn. I'm going to be getting this food. And all of a sudden it gets something different. It can't utilize it as effectively. That's right. So I try to eat seasonally like our ancestors would. So I get a large intake of protein and vegetables, broths and nuts in the colder months. Um, and then when it comes into the warmer months, I try to eat them seasonal foods. And interesting, they're, they're usually the fruits and the berries and the seafoods, which our ancestors would have eaten. So I come from a Scottish history and, you know, uh, history tells us that, you know, salmon was a peasant food because it was so abundant. So, um, and different seafoods were, were very abundant as well and, and certain types of vegetables. So I try to eat seasonally and, and research is showing that that is very good because we've evolved over thousands and thousands of, of generations to, to basically be effective at breaking down and utilizing certain foods that our ancestors did. And so if you can eat within season, I think that's very important as well. And the other thing that you need is variation, not just with the foods you eat, but the type of macronutrients and and the type of uh, foods that you actually eat in your diet and the type of diet that you go on. So a lot of people now are getting on the bandwagon of a ketogenic diet. And it's so interesting to see a lot of the, I suppose, the, the ketogenic mafia as such, the people that created this, you know, real noise around a diet that's been around, you know, since Adam was a boy, you know, we now know that the ketogenic diet really came into vogue in 1918 when it was developed to help people that uh, obviously were suffering from seizures and epilepsy. And it was being proven to be such a great uh, remedy for these people. But now we've taken it, made it something mainstream, which we like to do because people can make money out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially now you get these people that, you know, we know that being on a certain diet gives you identity and people are, are just so dogmatic when it comes to their diets, aren't they, Alex? You know, I'm a yeah. vegan, I'm a ketogenic bloke. So they'll, 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 they'll fight, you know, just as much as they would religion. So it's just really cool to see now that these people are going on these prolonged ketogenic diets, but they don't realize that it's actually doing their bodies much more damage. And when you look at, you know, someone like Dr. Joseph McCullough, who's, you know, one of the world's, you know, experts on, on, high fat diets, low carbohydrate diets. He's warning people, whatever you do, don't stay on a ketogenic diet for too long or don't stay on one type of diet where you're restricting something for too long because Mm. the body becomes very efficient at becoming inefficient. So by that, I mean, if all of a sudden you're not eating any carbohydrates forever, 
as soon as you introduce them back into your diet, you're in trouble. And, you know, the, the other long-term problem with ketogenic diet is, is that you see people and, and I, I've done it as well. I've gone on a ketogenic diet or style of eating where it's high fat and low carbohydrate for too long. And, and how I worked out, I was going on it for too long was when I started to measure, which I do every single day, my blood sugar levels, all of a sudden my blood sugar levels were becoming elevated, which is the opposite of what is meant to happen because I wasn't eating carbohydrates. But what had happened was my body's reserves of fat had started to run out. So all of a sudden I started to get a little bit more fat around my midsection. I started to lose a bit more muscle. And this was a result of being on a, on a high fat diet for too long. So mm. it was my body saying to me, Hey mate, you're starving me forever. I'm never getting carbohydrates. You bastard. I'm going to start breaking down muscle now because I want to hold on to what little fat you've got left to survive. Because you think of fat cells, they're like logs, they're long, slow burning logs. And fat was developed, why? To survive long-term. It was a slow-release energy. So when we didn't have food, you'd be able to tap into your fat cells. But if you think about it, if you go for these prolonged periods of time, which our ancestors never did, they only went seasonally through times of not eating, your body then shits itself. <laughs> yeah. And I can I, tell you from first-hand experience, not in a good way. All right, Adam. Jeez, mate, sounds like we got to do an episode on keto soon because everyone's been talking about it and you've got a lot of experience with it by the sounds of it. So what I'm getting from you, though, is your personal fasting is a 10-hour window and you follow the seasons and eat the food with the seasons because you think your body is already creating enzymes that can break it down. You got anything else in it? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, the key for everyone out there is finding what works for you and realizing that variety is the spice of life. You know, I believe that the key to great health is having metabolic flexibility. You know, so when you go to a birthday party, you can have that bloody piece of cake and use the cake to be put into the muscles and to not spike your blood sugar levels or, you know, store it as fat straight away or, you know, not be reliant on having to eat every single morning to get up and move around. Because when you are busy and you forget to eat, then you don't have a blood sugar crash. So metabolic flexibility is so important. Becoming fat adapted, you know, you can't drive your car in reverse and drive at the same time. And that, that's what a lot of people are trying to do, you know. They're, they're essentially trying to burn fat, but they're eating all this sugar. When your body can't do that, when your body's got sugar in it, it can't burn fat. And then what happens is they try and keep it in reverse and they go off the cliff by staying on these diets for too long. So you've really got to give your body variability and flexibility to grow. And, you know, even within the week, you know, I personally, for five days of the week, use the 10-hour window of eating. Then I try a 24-hour fast one day a week. And then, this is the most important thing, I bloody feast for one day of the week as well. Mm. And this is where most of the benefits I believe are coming from my fasting because what it does is it heightens my body to be able to utilize the food more effectively. It tells the body, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's be more efficient. And then when I put that protein in high amounts back into the body, I put them carbohydrates back into the body, they're sucked up like a sponge by the muscles. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm going into the gym now at 43 years of age and I have zero inflammation in my body. I'm, I'm, I'm training the house down. I've got more energy than ever. Um, people talk about not having brain fog from, you know, having, uh, you know, too high a carbohydrate diet or moodiness or, or fluctuations situations in, in, in their temperament. Um, I'm really finding this is working for me and I couldn't do it though without the feast. It gives me something to look forward to every week, yeah. but what it importantly does is it kickstarts my metabolism once again. You know, it tells my body, hang on, mate, don't worry. You're going to get fed again. And I try to keep my body guessing all the time, you know, try and keep it off guard as such, which is what our ancestors had no predictability. That is the big thing. Keeping your immune system, keeping your uh, metabolism, guessing all the time and keeping it stronger through these hormatic sorts of stresses, these tiny little stresses, which are really positive. Remember, we don't want big stresses continually because that's what wears the body down. We just want these slight little bits of stress here and there to make us stronger. And as we know, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, Alex. So Adam, huge episode. We've learned about how you fast. We've learned about types of fasting. Well, there's still a third episode to come. 
on fasting. We've got so much, we just couldn't squeeze it in. So the next episode, Adam's going to go through the top hacks to make fasting easy. If you're a newcomer to fasting or you just don't know if you are doing it correctly, the next episode, we're going to take from everything we've learned and help you go into it the right way and get the best results. That's next time on The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Thanks, Adam. Can't wait to hack in with you again next time. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Produced by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Nick Slater. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.